Welcome to Slovo, a podcast of the ATA Slavic Languages Division. I'm Maria Guzenko. This time, we'll take a look at legal translation. Our guest is a lawyer linguist and will share some of the challenges and solutions of working in this specialization. In the second half of our interview, we'll discuss how language professionals can negotiate a fair contract with their clients. Now on with the show. Today we have Paula Arturo with us. She is a lawyer linguist and associate professor of law. Throughout her 20-year career, she has translated the works of six Nobel Prize laureates and high-profile authors from Yale Law School, NYU, and the University of Buenos Aires, among others. As an independent lawyer linguist, she translates shadow reports for the United Nations Universal Periodic Review of several Latin American states, helping nonprofit and grassroots organizations have a voice before the Human Rights Council. Committed to the professionalization of translation and interpretation, she serves her professional community as administrator of the American Translators Association's Law Division and co-head of legal affairs at the International Association of Professional Translators and Interpreters. So Paula, welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much. I'm happy to be here. So you described yourself as a lawyer linguist. Could you please explain what that means? Okay. Um, yeah, that's kind of a, a controversial uh, topic among lawyers slash translators versus lawyer linguists. Um, there are different ways to define it, and it depends a lot on what you do. So there are many translators who have law degrees, but don't like to use the term lawyer linguist because they feel that what they do technically is not legal linguistics. So the way I use the term um, is legal translation plus the added value of legal linguistic analysis. So a lot of times my clients will seek me out because I have a law degree and because of my background in law. And what I can offer them in addition to my translations are reports about how certain terms that that are used in a certain way within their legal systems might read differently in the international human rights arena or vice versa. So that's basically what we mean by lawyer linguist. It's someone who is adding this extra level of legal linguistic analysis to our translation work. Very interesting. And so how did you actually start your career as a lawyer or as a linguist? Um, I started out as a translator. I've been a translator for 20 years, which is a really long time <laughs> to translate. And um, I realized at one point that I really liked legal translation and I wanted to get better at it. So, and also a part of me always wanted to go to law school. So I just went to law school and got my law degree. Wonderful. And what advice could you give to those legal translators who don't necessarily have a law degree? Well, I would say learn as much as you can about the law. The good thing about legal translation is that it's very, very vast. I mean, it's just this very, it's like a whole universe of things that you can translate when you're a legal translator because the law touches on absolutely every aspect of human existence. I mean, everything we do on a daily basis is somehow regulated by law or somehow touches the legal world. So it's very vast. There's a lot of 
things that you can learn and a lot of things you can specialize in. It's also very complex. So it's something that you do need to take very seriously because legal translation will affect people's lives directly. Legal translation malpractice will result in millions of dollars uh, in lawsuits or somebody can lose their freedom. I mean, there are a lot of things that can go wrong if a legal translator makes a mistake and doesn't realize it. So I would say take it very seriously, understand the fact that what you're doing can really affect people's lives. It can have a profound impact on people and learn as much as you can about the law. Doesn't mean you have to go to law school to be a good legal translator. Some of the best legal translators in the world are not lawyers, but they do know a lot about the law and they do acquire that background knowledge on their own, which is what I would recommend to people who want to get into legal translation. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So you studied law in Argentina, correct? Yes. You know, so the U.S. and Argentina have different legal systems. So what parts of your training as a lawyer in Argentina helped you understand the U.S. system better? And did you have, well, I'm sure you did, but what parts of the U.S. legal system did you need to read up on on your own? All of it. (laughs) That's a great question, by the way. I love that question. Um, Because, yes, legal systems are radically different from each other, which is also what adds a certain level of complexity to legal translation and just makes it a little bit uh, harder sometimes to deal with because what when we talk about certain things in legal translation we don't understand it the same way across legal systems so a lawsuit is just a lawsuit but when we start to dig deeper into what a lawsuit is we have different ideas in our mind of what that is as legal practitioners so a lawsuit looks a certain way in the US it looks really different um, in Argentina where I am and that's true for every country in the world Um, So my training in Argentina was very different from the kind of training that you get in the U.S. In Argentina, we study law for about, our programs are about five and a half to eight years, depending on where you study, what university you go to. And and it's it's really it takes a long time to learn because it's a civil law country. So and that's a, a type of of legal tradition that's called the civil law tradition. It's it's the tradition of continental Europe and Latin America and several other parts of the world. So we study law for a really really long time, and then after that we start to specialize. In my case, I was lucky that I went to a university that already starts a sub-specialization when we're in law school. So the last few years of law school are already within that area of specialization. And I went with constitutional law. And in Argentina, because Argentina's constitution incorporates international public law, especially human rights law, into our constitution, when you study constitutional law, you also study international public law. And that gives you a very broad perspective of how the law works outside of your own country. Um, it's, very, it's a very enriching way to learn about the law. And um, then after law school, I did my master's and then I did my PhD studies in law. And all of, all of those studies were also focused on international law and comparative law. So I had a lot of comparative law, which was comparing 
the legal system, not just of Argentina with the US, but also legal system, the civil law systems of Latin America versus the civil law tradition in continental Europe. So you just have this really broad perspective. And the rest, of course, I had to study on my own. So you mentioned that law really varies from country to country. So would you recommend that legal translators specialize not only in this area of the law, but also that they should pick a few countries to focus on in their practice? So I think I would say rather focus on legal traditions that are manageable. If you're a, say, a German-English translator, and you're working with English US and English UK, you're going to find that they're both common law countries, that's their legal tradition. And so there's a lot that they're going to have in common, but then there are also things that are going to be really different, even though they both have the same legal tradition and they both speak the same language. But at the same time, that doesn't mean that you can't you you can't translate between many different legal systems. What you do need to know is understand that that vocabulary is going to be really different. And you're going to have to look up what those terms mean or how those terms are used within that specific jurisdiction. I work with Spanish, right? And Spanish is spoken in, in many, many different countries. And I'll translate things that are going to be read in Spain, that are going to be read in Colombia, that are going to be read in Argentina and Uruguay. We all speak really differently from each other, even though we all speak Spanish. But when I'm translating, if I know that this is going to be read in Colombia, then I'm going to use Colombian dictionaries. I'm going to reference Colombian materials and I'm going to try to localize it as much as possible. Maybe team up with someone who is in Colombia and they can help me localize it even further. So it's just going to require a little extra research and maybe a little extra collaboration with your colleagues to get the translation just perfect. Wow, yeah, that's an encouraging message for those of us who work with um, a language that's used in multiple countries. Something else that you do aside from uh, translating is also teaching. So you often present about translation contracts or contracts between the client and the translator. So what are some of the things you think independent contractors need to pay attention to in the contracts that they receive from potential clients? Um, so first of all, I think independent translators have to have contracts and just always work with a contract. And that's not always part of our professional culture. And a lot of times when you talk to colleagues, some of the things that happen to them happen because they're working without contracts. So my advice, number one, is always make sure you're working with a contract. Now, when you're working with a contract, if you're working for agencies or certain types of clients, they might be the ones providing the contract. So they'll send you a contract that you have to review and you have to sign it. And sometimes it's a take it or leave it kind of situation. And then sometimes you are, if you're working with direct clients, then you should have your own terms and conditions written to your advantage and, and send that out to your client. So if you're asking me what to keep in mind when you're reading a contract that maybe your client sent to you, I would say contract language really says a lot about how the potential client views you. If you're looking at a contract that has language that seems very one-sided, where it really looks like 
the it, the client is looking out for themselves only and you're getting an idea out of this contract that your relationship with them is going to be a little bit difficult like there's not enough there in that contract that is in your benefit as well then it's a contract that you might need to renegotiate or think twice before signing it yeah that totally makes sense and i've definitely seen a few of these contracts in my career so let's say you got a contract where there's a clause that gives you pause. Do you just take it or leave it or do you renegotiate it? And if so, how can you approach a client and suggest some changes to the contract? Okay, so the first thing I would say is don't be afraid to negotiate with your clients. A lot of times people are afraid that the client is gonna go away if they try to negotiate a contract. And really in the business world, we're used to that. We're used to contracts. We're used to sometimes going back and forth with terms and conditions. And people are a lot more reasonable than we give them credit for most of the time. Now, of course, there are circumstances where really you have no negotiating power. There are some clients where it's a take it or leave it situation. And a lot of times when you're working with those clients, you realize that because you get a feel for that in your initial negotiation, even before you reach the contract phase. But if you're working with someone with a potential client who seems reasonable enough, and you notice something in the contract that seems a little bit off, or you're not entirely sure if you want to sign that or not, I would always recommend asking the client about this. Tell them how you're interpreting it. To say, you know, this is what I'm understanding. Is this your intention or what does it mean when this says that? I mean, it's just whatever clause in the contract. Or maybe you can tell them, you know, I'm not very comfortable with this because it could affect my relationship with other clients. And a typical example of this are spy clauses. I, I call them spy clauses. That's not really what they're called. It's just what I like to call them. Sometimes um, agencies will send out contracts or, well, they, they usually stick it in the um, NDA instead of the vendor agreement, but wherever it is, it doesn't really matter. But they'll kind of reserve the right to maybe go through your computer or go through your files or run certain checks. And of course, that can create a problem for you with your other, con with your other clients with whom you've signed NDAs as well and, and whose information you're supposed to keep safe because you're responsible for that information as well. So when you're in that situation, just talk to the client about them, that and just tell them, you know, I've signed other agreements with other clients. I can't give you access to this or I can't do what you're asking me because. And what that also gives your client, if your client is a reasonable person, is they'll see that you're also trying to protect your other clients as well. So if I'm working with you and you look at my contract and you say, hey, you know what, Paula, I'm afraid that if I sign this particular clause, this could be problematic because I have my other I have access to whatever data from my other client. I would think, oh look, this translator is really responsible. They're looking out for all their clients, their other clients, and me, and it makes me want to work with that translator even more, not less. And I'm not the only person that thinks that way in the business world. This is something that we pay attention to. Yeah, that makes sense, and this is great advice. So, Paula, thank you so much for uh, speaking with me tonight. And, uh, you know, this, uh, I hope this interview is really encouraging to our listeners. Well, thank you very much. And I'm, I'm happy to have had the chance to talk to you. Thank you for tuning in to Slovo, a podcast of the ATA Slavic Languages Division. We hope you follow us on your favorite streaming platform. 
Until next time, I'm Maria Guzenko.